0: Now, in this portion of our service, God nourishes us, and uh, Billy has given us Romans 12, verses one and two. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Please open your Bibles with me to the book of Leviticus. We'll be reading chapter 2 this morning. If you're using the Black Pew Bibles in front of you, Please turn to page 81, that's where the text for the day begins. And our text this morning explores a dynamic that we're probably pretty familiar with in our everyday lives. And here's, here's the dynamic, gratitude motivates giving. Gratitude motivates giving. It wasn't a few months longer after my, high, uh, my college graduation that I started receiving alumni newsletters. And you can probably anticipate what was in the first alumni letter that I got just a couple months after college graduation. It was a request for a donation, right? Uh, now, like most college graduates at that point in time, my, my immediate thought was, I think you guys have already received enough money from me. Uh, I don't think I'm gonna be giving anything else. But the logic of the letter was, uh, was absolutely sound. The logic of the letter was, was basically, if you have benefited from us, then give back. If you've received anything well from us then contribute back to us. How many of you have received a letter like that? Yeah, probably most of you. Maybe maybe it's from your college association, your alumni association, maybe it's from a, a ministry that you've supported or benefited from. Maybe it's even just from NPR. Now, we don't always appreciate getting letters like this in the mail. Um, but again, the, the logic behind it is absolutely true. And it's a fascinating reflection on who we are as humans. When we receive something wonderful, we actually do have an internal drive to give something back. When when we experience gratitude, gratitude pushes us to to give, to be generous in return. When I had my knee surgery, my surgeon's office was full filled with tokens of gratitude from other people that he had served in the past. Maybe they were letters or pictures of people hiking, or signed jerseys from athletes. All of these were, were tokens of appreciation, people who were thrilled to have their health and mobility restored to them. My doctor didn't ask for these things, and he certainly didn't mandate it. It wasn't part of the, the fine print in agreeing to have the surgery. These were free will, voluntary gifts that people gave out of a deep, deep, desire to express their gratitude. And we do stuff like this all of the time. If someone helps you out at work, at the office, you have a desire to maybe take them out for coffee as a way of saying thanks. Or if someone helps you out of a a tough situation, you have this desire. You want to give them something in return. And if that's how we act in normal day-to-day situations, how much more Will we want to give in response to God's blessing of eternal salvation? That's the question that we're facing here in Leviticus chapter 2. To recap where we've been in Leviticus, Leviticus is God's answer to our most pressing human problem. Our sin has alienated us from God. But God, in his mercy, has made a way for us to get back into his presence. Last week, we saw how the, burned offering, the burnt offering in Leviticus chapter 1 made atonement. People were able to enjoy God's presence and God's favor when they came into his presence through the sacrificial blood of their offering. And what happens when we receive something that incredibly wonderful? We're grateful, and gratitude drives giving, or to put it in theological terms, grace inspires worship. The people, after receiving forgiveness from the Lord, they want to then give themselves to the Lord, and that's what we see in Leviticus chapter 2, the grain offering, the offering of dedication. So please hear with me now God's holy word, Leviticus 2. When anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour. He shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests. And he shall take from it a handful of the fine flour and oil with all of its frankincense. And the priest shall burn this as its memorial portion on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offerings. And when you bring a grain offering baked in the oven as an offering... "'It shall be unleavened loaves of fine flour "'mixed with oil or unleavened wafers smeared with oil. "'And if your offering is a grain offering "'baked on a griddle, it shall be of fine flour "'unleavened, mixed with oil. "'You shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it. "'It is a grain offering. "'And if your offering is a grain offering cooked in a pan, "'it shall be made of fine flour with oil.' And you shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord. And when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. And the priest shall take from the grain offering its memorial portion and burn this on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offerings. No grain offering that you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall burn no leaven nor any honey as a food offering to the Lord. As an offering of first fruits, you may bring them to the Lord, but they shall not be offered on the altar for a pleasing aroma. You shall season all your grain offerings with salt." You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. If you offer a grain offering of first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruits fresh ears. Roasted with fire, crushed new grain, and you shall put oil on it and lay frankincense on it. It is a grain offering, and the priest shall burn as its memorial portion some of the crushed grain and some of the oil with all of its frankincense. It is a food offering to the Lord. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this passage that shows us a rich and lovely picture of dedication. As we mine its depths, would you grant to us your Holy Spirit, the spirit of illumination, that we would be able to behold you in this word from Leviticus. Help us to hear your voice speaking to us in our souls, calling us to submit to you as our king and inviting us in mercy to have faith. Speak to us now, we pray, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So, this is the second major offering that we see in Leviticus. Like we talked about just a bit last week the book of leviticus opens by charting the five major sacrifices that governed israel's life this was how they communed with the lord again as we think of the overall scope of leviticus how do and how does an unholy people dwell in the presence of an of a very very holy god uh, how can we dwell in the lord's presence the leviticus answers with these five sacrifices Last week we looked at the burnt offering. This week we see the grain offering and we'll be studying these over the next few weeks. And there's remarkable symmetry to all of these passages, these opening five uh, sacrifices in Leviticus. And so to make the most of that symmetry, to highlight the consistency in God's word, we're going to be using the same basic outline for each sermon, the asking the same basic questions so that we can understand what's happening in the text. Beginning with just simple observation, what's happening here? What is happening in this text? Last week, we saw people bringing animals to sacrifice to the Lord within the tabernacle. And now this week, we hear that they're also bringing grain and when we listen closer, we, we hear, we see that they're bringing a surprising variety of grain, isn't it? We, we heard as, you, as I was listening to the passage, just all these different ways that people could bring their grain offerings to God. I counted at least five of them. You could bring plain flour, or you could bring flour that was baked in an oven, or baked on a griddle, or cooked in a pan, or you could just bring a fresh crushed grain if you were making an offering of first fruits. Now, the basic ingredients were the same in all of these various dishes. You would have grain, fine grain that we'll talk about in just a minute, grain oil, Salt, we hear, and sometimes you would add incense on top of it, and you would bring this with you into the tabernacle. You would hand it to the priest, and the priest would take part of it, this memorial portion of it, either a handful of the the, the fine flour with the frankincense on top, a, just grab a handful of it, or if you had maybe like a, a tray of the wafers that you've made, the priest would take some of it and would burn this memorial portion on the altar to the Lord. And then as we hear in the text, the rest of it would go to the priests. It was a holy offering to the Lord. And so these are the actions of the grain offering that we just heard in Leviticus chapter 2. Here is the spiritual significance behind it. When we, we dig a little bit deeper into the text, here's what we see going on. It's not just that people are, are bringing a random flower to the Lord. Here's what's happening in the text. People are dedicating themselves to the Lord as their king. People are dedicating themselves to God through generous and beautiful gifts. Let me say that one more time. People are dedicating themselves to God through generous and beautiful gifts gifts. Let's break that down. In this text, people are dedicating themselves to God. In the Old Testament, whenever an individual or a group of people wanted to dedicate themselves to a higher authority or to a higher power, they would bring a tribute offering. Uh, For example, when Jacob learns that his son Joseph is Pharaoh's right-hand man in Egypt, Jacob sends a tribute offering Or when Gideon learns that he's speaking with the angel of the Lord, he offers a tribute offering. Now, in these tribute offerings, a person was essentially saying, I am at your service. I'm dedicating myself to you. It was, it was a dedication of sincerity and allegiance. You're aligning yourself with that person. And again, you're saying, I am at your service. I recognize that you are a higher power. That's the tribute offering. And that's exactly what's happening in this text. The word tribute appears several times in the Hebrew in Leviticus 2. We hear in our translations that it's a grain offering. That word offering offering could also be translated grain tributes. It's exactly the same word that's used throughout the Old Testament to describe these tribute offerings. So this that we see in Leviticus 2 is a tribute offering of grain that demonstrates a person's dedication. These people in this passage are giving themselves to God. Remember, these are representative offerings, The animal for the burnt offering was a stand-in for you. You laid your hand on the head of the animal, symbolically saying, this animal represents me. And it's the exact same with the grain. This offering represents me. When you handed the priest your grain, you were essentially handing yourself over to God. You said, I am at your service. You are my God. These people in the text are dedicating themselves to God through gifts. These are gifts that people are bringing. Just like last week, These offerings are voluntary. They're not attached to any sort of command. Thus saith the Lord, you must do this. No, this is a free will offering given in love. These individuals are happily, freely submitting themselves to God as their king, offering themselves to their king through their gifts. And these gifts are generous. These are generous gifts that we see in the text. They are made out of fine flour. As J. Sklar says in his commentary on Leviticus, this flower is fit for a king. 1 Kings chapter 4 says that in the height of Solomon's glory, he was given 30 measures of fine flour every day. Genesis 13 says that Abraham hosted the angels of God by making them cakes of fine flour. Flour. This is food that was fit for a king, the best flower that you could secure. These were generous gifts. And they were also generous because they provided food for the priests. As verses 3 and 10 show, most of this offering eventually made its way to the priests. As you look through the Old Testament, the priests were called to exclusively serve the Lord in the tabernacle and in the temple. And therefore, because they were called to exclusively dedicate themselves purely to God's work, they were unable to work in the field for themselves, and therefore they depended on the sacrifices of the people for their food. And so your dedication offering served a very practical and very generous function. You were sharing food with people in need. And interestingly, Leviticus 2 never specifies exactly how much grain you were supposed to give. There's actually no limit given here on your offering. Every other time in the Bible when God describes a grain offering, he always says how much to bring. He always says in those other passages, bring this much for your grain offering or your grain tribute. But here, he doesn't say that at all. The spirit of Leviticus 2 is not bring this much, but bring what you want. The emphasis is on your own personal generosity. You're giving yourself to God, and in the meantime, you're, you're giving to the priests who are serving you. And so bring what you feel is appropriate to signal your intentions. Give generously, give these generous gifts. And also the gifts were beautiful. They're not just generous, they are beautiful. How many of you have ever accidentally burned flour when you're cooking in the kitchen? Anyone done that? Burned flour does not smell all that great, does it? If you're you're heating up a pan and you accidentally drop some flour in it, it actually doesn't smell that good. So here the Lord says, if you're gonna bring plain flour, even this fine flour, add incense to it put frankincense on it, burn that on the altar, add value, add beauty, so that this thing going up in smoke to the Lord is a pleasing aroma to God, something that everyone would be able to understand its elegance and its loveliness. I also think that the freedom that we see in this passage, all the different ways that people could give their grain offering to the Lord, I think it also signals a a loveliness, a freedom to give to God what you think is beautiful. I think there's a wide variety of options here because people have a wide variety of favorites that they like to cook. It'd be almost like bringing your favorite cookies to a holiday party. What would you want to dream about as you're thinking, I'm going to go meet with God. I'm going to go stand in his presence. I want to dream about what I'd like to make for God. You would want to bring something of quality and beauty. So that is what's happening in Leviticus chapter two. People are dedicating themselves to God through generous and beautiful gifts. And that sets up our second question, why? Why are the people sacrificing? Why are they bringing expensive, luxurious offerings of grain and expensive incense? Why are they doing this? It's because they're grateful. They're filled with gratitude. The dedication offering springs from a grateful heart. Primarily, the people in this passage are grateful for God's salvation, Remember their story. They have been rescued from their slavery in Egypt. They've been chosen to be God's children, promised a grand inheritance and a good life. They've had their sins forgiven through the atoning sacrifices. They've been accepted into God's presence. The dedication offering rehearsed all of these great salvation blessings. The portion that was burned on the altar was called the memorial portion, or another way of putting that would be the remembrance portion. An opportunity for the people to remember all of God's great and good promises of salvation. They would call these things to mind as they saw their remembrance portion being burned on the altar. They would also remember God's covenant. Verse 13, you shall season all your grain offerings with salt, You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. So in the ancient world, salt represented permanence. It represented something that was enduring. We see that a couple times in the scriptures. Numbers 18, 19, God says, "...it is a covenant of salt forever." Before the Lord, for you and for your offspring with you. Or 2 Chronicles 13.5. Ought you not know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingship over Israel forever to David and his sons by a covenant of salt? So throughout the scriptures we see salt and this word forever being linked together. And so here when we're t- told about the salt of the covenant. Our minds are drawn immediately to the enduring forever nature of God's covenant faithfulness. Now, when we're dealing with texts that are this old, there's going to be a certain amount of obscurity, uh, certain cultural details that are lost on us. We don't know exactly why salt was linked with forever, with permanence there might be a few reasons at least one reason that some scholars point to is that salt itself is extremely resilient i learned this past week that table salt Uh, You can sprinkle table salt on a fire, and it is is basically non-flammable. If you toss a handful of table salt onto a fire, after that fire goes out, if you look closely enough, you can find the salt that you put into that fire. It is not fully burned up. In fact, one researcher states that salt won't melt until it reaches 1,472 degrees Fahrenheit. That is, it can withstand temperatures that are higher than aluminum. Aluminum will melt faster than salt. And that's a perfect image for us when we think about God's unbreakable covenant. This is the same God who will go on to say in Scripture, I will never leave you or forsake you. Joshua 1.9. God says, I am the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love for a thousand generations. Deuteronomy 7, 9. This enduring faithfulness of God had pulled them from slavery. He had made them holy. He had set them apart from the nations as his special children forever. And that's likely why God says, never offer honey or leaven on the altar. These people were distinct. They were separate. They were a holy people. They were sustained through God's forever covenantal love. They had experienced a great and a gracious salvation. Their sacrifices should reflect that. So don't burn honey. Don't burn leaven. Burn the salt on the altar Because we want to remember salvation. And these people, every single individual coming to the altar, would be experiencing personally the benefits of that salvation. It wasn't theoretical for them. Every single one of them knew and experienced the glories of salvation personally. Because Leviticus 1 and 2 work together. First it's the burnt offering, then the grain offering. First, atonement, then dedication. The sacrificial blood had already been poured out on them. They already experienced God's favor resting upon them. How could they not be grateful? And on top of that, on top of all of those salvation blessings God had provided for every single one of their needs through the common graces of rain and sun, every single harvest would speak of God's provision And so they would come bearing gifts to recognize that as well, the gratitude that they had to the Lord for providing all good things for them. Verses 14 and 16 show that the people are joyfully offering the very first yield of their crop to thank God for every single one of his gifts. And so imagine the picture that you're witnessing here in Leviticus chapter 2. Here's what you're seeing. People are lining up offering themselves in joyful service to God as their king. They've brought an abundance of gifts with them, a rich variety of baked goods and raw flour, all made out of the best materials that they could offer. The air smells like warm oil and salty breads and delightful incense. And the overwhelming emotion is gratitude. Grateful people bringing their finest, grateful priests receiving delightful gifts that will sustain them in the future. This is a saved and thankful people gathering to tell God, you are my king. That's a a compelling picture of worship, isn't it? Whenever we see public displays of devotion like this, I think it makes us reflect on our own lives and our own hearts. I thought about this a lot a few weeks ago after Queen Elizabeth II died. It was amazing to see the outpouring of grief in the people of England. One million people coming to London to watch the funeral procession a five-mile-long line of mourners. I remember seeing these photos of like, big, burly, bearded English men weeping openly in the streets, A, a, a country that prides itself on keeping its emotions under wraps. These people, when you watched this overwhelming display of devotion, you couldn't help but say, wow, they really loved their queen. And so now when we read Leviticus chapter 2, it's a similar thing, except it's not grief, but gratitude that's, that's motivating this tremendous public display of devotion. When we see the crowds gathering to give themselves to God, we can't help but say, wow, they really loved their king. Do I? Do I love My king, the way that they do. Do I love God like that? We have every reason to. Remember your story. You have been redeemed from your slavery to sin. You were chosen to be God's child. You were promised a grand inheritance and a good life. You have had your sins cleansed through Jesus' atoning sacrifice. And you have the security of an eternal, unbreakable covenant with God through Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9.15, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Philippians 1.6, I am confident that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. You have experienced a great and a gracious salvation. And on top of that, God has provided for you he has provided everything that you have for your common needs and your common good. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Philippians 4, 19, God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, with a salvation and a provision like that, how could we not be grateful? And gratitude drives giving. Grace inspires worship. The mercies of Christ make us want to offer ourselves back to God in gratitude and thanksgiving. So how can we? how can we do that? How can we dedicate ourselves to God? I think this text shows us four ways that we can do that. Four ways that we can dedicate ourselves to God. First, submit to Jesus Christ in faith. That's the first thing this text incites within us. We should submit to Jesus Christ in faith. Again, the dedication offering was given to submit yourself to a higher power, a higher authority. It was a gift that was given to your king, acknowledging his kingship over you. And the kingship of God in this passage points us forward to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Philippians 2 says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We should submit ourselves to him. I just want to pause and say, isn't it cool that Leviticus chapter 2 leads us directly to an invitation of faith? Isn't, isn't that so amazing? Leviticus 2 starts out and it feels so distant from us. If you read older translations, you would hear this called the cereal offering, uh, the grain offering in our translations. It calls it the cereal offering. So we might hear that language and it sounds so, so distant from us. We might wonder, what does God want? Does God want me to bring like a box of checks to him? No, God doesn't want your cereal. God wants you. God wants your heart. God wants your life. The appropriate response to hearing that Jesus Christ is the king of kings is that you should submit to him in faith. And so if you are not a Christian, then I I would urge you, invite you, do that today. Don't let today pass Without submitting yourself to Jesus Christ as king, don't leave here turning your back on this great opportunity to declare to the living God, you are my king. He wants you. He welcomes you. And so turn to him and submit to him in faith. And if you are a Christian, the message to you is exactly the same. Submit in faith to Jesus Christ as your king again. Today, he is a good king. He saves you. He washes you. He sustains you. He prays for you. He comforts you. He he gives you his Holy Spirit. And as, as king of the world, he orders, governs the entire world so that everything turns out for your good. He is a good king. But every Christian would, would be quick to admit that we very quickly turn to resent his kingship in our lives, don't we? Whenever a prayer goes unanswered, then we immediately begin, begin to get frustrated with Jesus Christ. Uh, when life throws us a handful of suffering, we immediately begin to doubt Jesus Christ's goodness. We, we doubt his, his mercies. When we hear him telling us not to go into an area of sin, we we resent him and wish that our lives were easier. And so it's a good call for us in Leviticus chapter 2 to pay attention. Watch these people as they joyfully dedicate themselves to their king. Watch the displays of devotion. Let that help you remember your salvation. And then remember all of the ways that Christ has been faithful to you. He has an enduring love for you. And then, when you remember all of Jesus Christ's goodness, submit to him in faith. And then, once you've done that, once you've submitted yourself to God in faith, to Jesus in faith, then give your praise. Give your best and give generously. Give your praise. This offering was a time of public worship. These people were singing God's praises. Everyone there would have their hands, their baskets, full with signs of God's mercy. And I'm confident that they would be talking about it with each other as they went on the way. Why are you here? Oh, I'm here to offer this grain to the Lord because he's been so good to me. Wow, the offering in that basket smells great. Why are you going? I'm going to give it to my Lord. He is my God. He is my King. Friends, we can do that now. We can give God our praise. We've been doing that already this morning, and we can continue that throughout the week. You can dedicate yourself to the Lord by giving Him praise. Talk about the wonderful deeds of the Lord together. Share the signs of His grace with each other. Point them out in each other's lives and delight in God. Don't let the hardships of life govern your mood. Do your best to be happy in God. Make yourself happy in the Lord. Give him your praise. And then give him your best. Give him your best. The dedication offering was your best stuff. It was your best grain, your best oil, the best salt, the best incense, and your best cooking skills all united into one great gift. Give God your best. Give Him the best of your money, the first of your paycheck instead of your last. Give Him the best of your time. When are you most refreshed? When are you most alive? If you're a morning person and you just wake up and the birds are singing and you're, you're alive in the morning, spend your best time with the Lord. If you're a night owl and, and you just are really like humming through the night, then maybe spend some of that time. Give him your best. Spend some time in scripture. Make that the time that you pray to God. Give God your best. Give him your best work. Try to be rested so that you can go into the next day giving God your best, firing on all cylinders, not for your own reputation, but for the Lord. So let me ask you, where are, where are you, what are you good at? What are the things that you really resonate in life with? What are your skills and your talents? Give your best to God. Give that to the Lord no matter where you are, whether it's at home or at work or at school or in the neighborhood or even here at church. Give God your best. And finally, give generously. After you've given God your praise, you've given your best, give generously. There's a saying that's attributed to Martin Luther. Uh, he said that a person will undergo three conversions when they come to Christ. A person will undergo a conversion of the heart, a conversion of the mind, and a conversion of the purse, a conversion of your your pocketbook. When we experience salvation, generosity becomes a byproduct of that, and especially, I think, generosity to the poor. Again, the dedication offering, through the dedication offering, people were fed who were in need. One scholar notes that you could tell the spiritual vitality of Israel depending on the hunger of the priests. If the priests were hungry, it meant that the spiritual vitality of the people was not there. The people were not bringing offerings to the Lord to feed the priests. But if the priests were well-fed, then you could tell that the people were grateful to God. The well-fed priesthood in the Old Testament signaled spiritual vitality, and it's the same for us. A church that supports the poor, that gives generously to those who are in need, has spiritual vitality. And so think through your purse, think through your wallet, think through your, your bank account, your paycheck with that in mind. How has God converted all three of those things in your life? Where can you be generous to the poor as an outflowing and outworking of your gratitude? Because gratitude drives giving, grace inspires worship. You are God's children. In Christ, you are saints. Salvation is yours. All things are yours in Jesus Christ. What should we do in response? We should give him ourselves. So give yourselves to God freely. Give yourselves to God cheerfully. Bring him your offerings. Bring him yourself. And in word and deed, declare to God, you are my king. Let's pray. Lord, we pause to declare your kingship and to praise you for your wonderful grace. We want to align ourselves with your kingdom. We want to take upon us your name and your yoke, which you say is, is a light one, a good one. Lord Christ, we praise you as King of kings and Lord of lords. We praise you for your might and your majesty. And Again, we, we declare that we are your people. We give ourselves to you freely uh, as, as a gift, showing you that, uh, that your salvation has made the tremendous difference in our lives. So as we go forth from here, I pray that through your word, you'd strengthen us to do the same, that we would give you our praise, that we would give you our best, that we would give generously so that the poor among us and the poor in our surrounding regions would be able to tell that you are a good God and then turn to you in faith. Help us do this through your spirit. Strengthen us for the work and the task of dedicating ourselves to you day in, day out in love We pray this in the name of Christ, amen.